Sport Calgary acts as a resource for sports organizations with a ton of information available on www.sportcalgary.ca. Learn about community and coaching resources, research, jobs, and of course, the latest in Calgary sport. Hey, hey, kids. Hey, hi, hey, how you holding up? Hey, hey, everybody. It's it's your old pal, Rob Kerr. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for being here. Thanks for for logging on, uh, downloading, uh, visiting, uh, but perhaps you've subscribed to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, hope you're well. Hope you were hunkered down. Hope uh, everybody around you is good. If things are a little tight, if things are a little nerve-wracking right now, hopefully this conversation today is going to uh, bring you a smile. It's going to uh, help you um, forget about the real world for an hour or so. Uh, we've got the right guest for it, I'll tell you that. Oh, boy, do we have a fantastic guest. One of, And again, here we go, um, full disclosure, one of my dearest friends. Um, she is a huge mentor for me. Uh, I cannot begin to tell you the impact that she's had on my professional career uh, and, and my and my personal. She's just a really good role model. Uh, our most decorated captain internationally in hockey, period, stop, end of story. Uh, nobody has uh, led uh, Canada as a captain to more success internationally than Cassie Campbell-Pascal. Uh, after that, she has become a prominent broadcaster, uh, color analyst on Calgary Flames broadcast, a host. Um, she does really cool things like uh, hosting Michelle Obama events uh, when she comes through Canada. Um, she's uh, part of the Hockey Hall of Fame selection committee. Um, she is a, a huge, huge representative for Scotiabank in their programming around girls hockey. And, and uh, just to me, one of the most important um people uh in canada in calgary in sport in hockey Let, let's leave it there it is it, it, it's our session it's our time to spend with cassie campbell pascal um who by the way we're gonna find out here n- nearly a thespian that's right nearly a thespian uh there's a little acting blood in there we'll get into that we will get into that uh conversation with um with Cassie coming up. By the way, each year, Sport Calgary hosts its popular all-sport one-day event in June. This is an opportunity for thousands of children to try a new sport for free. Now, keep it here. Keep watching. With everything that's going on, we are likely going to have to move it, uh, but sportcalgary.ca will be the place to go to find out uh, because this is too important to let go. Also, I'll give a little love to All Sport One City, which we do in uh, January, and that's for adults to try new sports. So Sport Calgary's got your back when it comes to trying new things. And by the way, uh, Cassie Campbell, Pascal, uh, did not play just one sport. That will come up in this conversation. I have known this young lady for a long, long time, but I love it. I must have interviewed her hundreds of times, but I love it. Learned something new. So let's get into it. Here's Cassie Campbell-Pascal. family-wise and you know my family we none of us you know live in the same place across the country across North America for that matter and so it's it's difficult to kind of stay in touch sometimes and see each other and we've done a lot of that you know over this last couple of weeks or so and um it, you know technology has really changed us and, and it brings some really good things but I, I I've also enjoyed playing life again like <laughs> we, we play a game called Mexican train all the time which is really fun and you know playing old maid and um you know, just just fun things that, you know, we we often do on vacation. But, you know, that's one week a year. So it's been fun to kind of get back to some roots, I think. You alluded to it earlier, but what's it like being a teacher? Do you have a, <laughs> you have a new appreciation for that world? I, I'm terrible at technology, so I have to get her to kind of pull everything up and or we make sure we're checking everything. And French is a little bit difficult. <laughs> brings me back to grade four French. So I'm, I'm redoing that. And I uh, sent a text to Danielle Goyette the other day saying, uh, I might need your help. And uh, she just laughed. And uh, so, you know, it's fun. Again, it's, you know, there was one lesson that came home on anti-bullying. There was one lesson that came home on body image for boys and girls. And so I was sitting there doing these lessons with her. And I was like, boy, am I ever glad that I'm getting to do these lessons with her? Hmm. Because, you know, I know the teachers do such a great job. But, you know, the parents, we should be a bit more engaged in that sense. And uh, I have a full understanding of teachers and I'll tell you, I was a tough student because I was saucy and I had attitude and, you know, I often, in fairness, I'd finished my work and I had it done always ahead of time. And then I got bored, I think a lot of times, but I put some of my 
my teachers through some tough times. My my uh, grade seven French teacher used to call me Sassy Cassie. So I think I deserved it. And so I apologize fully to every teacher out there that I ever was saucy to. And uh, I thank them for everything they did for me. And, and I thank them for what they're doing now for my daughter because it is a tough job. And they I only have one kid to deal with. They got like 30 in a class. So I'm, I'm just amazed at how they make it all run. I have a hard time picturing you as a problem child. Like, you know, I, I, that's not the image I would, if you would ask me what, what kind of, you know, student was Cassie? Oh, top of the class, always paying attention, you know, kind of, you know, quiet and doing your own thing. But you were, uh, you had a little attitude, did you? I, I was, I'm always a worker, Rob. Like I, I always got my work done and I always did my homework and, uh, you know, I was a pretty good student. I wouldn't say it was sort of top of the class or anything, but I was, you know, pretty good student generally. And, um, but I got bored, you know, yeah. I, I'm the same way kind of now, like I'm always like, okay, what's next? You know, what are we doing? And, um, and I, I went to a really rough high school in Brampton, Ontario, just outside of Toronto. And, uh, it was probably the roughest high school outside of downtown Toronto and, 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 and you know, racial issues and, um, just, just everything, drugs and just everything. And I, and I think sport, you know, I got along with everyone because I played sport. I played basketball, I played soccer, I, you know, played in all the sport teams and, um, you know, I had black friends, white friends, brown friends, you know, whatever. And I, you know, white people were kind of the minority in, in my school. So I grew up in a very cultured environment and, you know, would go to my friends' houses and have different foods and, and just got along kind of with everyone because I played sport. But, right. you know, also at the same time, you know, got into altercations and got into things I probably shouldn't have. But I think, you know, whenever I had a fork in the road, sport made me take the right direction but I, I look back at sort of 14 to 17 and life could have gone differently for me. And even with hockey in particular, there were so many other sports I could have played where maybe at that time you could have gone further. And for some reason I stuck with hockey and, and uh, it kind of worked out. So that's lucky. It's interesting because, you know, I recently talked to Erica Weeb and I said, was there a crossroads for you? But I meant it from a sports standpoint. You know, she was a soccer player. She was, you know, eventually she had to make a decision. And normally that would be the question, but was there a, a crossroads for you from, you know, maybe going over to the dark side as opposed to, um, you know, doing what you ended up doing? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, I, I think so. I think, you know, my, I, I grew up, my both my parents were very supportive of me, but I, I grew up predominantly with my mom. My mom was a single mom, and, you know, my dad was very much a part of our life, but he didn't live with us, and my parents were divorced, and, um, you know, boo-hoo, but it, it I... I <laughs> I'm not uh, sure yeah, that's the correct like, response. I still had a pretty good life, but, um, you know, I think I was given leeway. Both my brother and I, we were given leeway by our mom. Listen do well in school, do well in sports, do well in extracurricular activities, and I'll leave you alone. So, um, you know, the only time we kind of got in trouble is when school slipped or sports slipped or something. And uh, so we were allowed to kind of do a lot of things. Like I remember being out on a school night till, you know, after midnight as a teenager. And, you know, she kind you know, my mom was pretty smart. She knew when we skipped school or something, she always had, she had this way. And um, I had this, because my parents were divorced, I always used my dad's signature. So any letter I had to write, I always used my dad's signature. I just made it up myself, and it was the same signature all the time. And so if I needed to get out of class or something, I, oh, look, Cassie has a dentist appointment, and then signed Don Campbell, you know. And Don Campbell was the same signature throughout all high school because my mom was always the one signing all the documents. So, I, you know, I think there were times where I could have gone off the wrong track. And, yeah. and you know, uh, I kind of saw a lot of things. And uh, I had great friends, though. I did. And, um you know, and especially my sport friends, but even, you know, my other friends that could have, we could have easily gone off the wrong, you know, side of the track or whatever. Uh, they're good people. And I think they wanted to do well and their parents wanted them to do well. And, uh, so anytime I was a close to the edge, something pulled me back, you know, right. whether it was the Canada games and hockey and sport and soccer, you know, um, sure. but I, I wouldn't say I was innocent growing up by any means. And I, I think I experienced a lot of things from 14 to 17 to you know 18 range so yeah. by the time i went off to university i was like okay I, i've already done all this fun so i better get focused and not that i didn't have fun in university because i did but uh well, i better get focused and, and then that's when hockey and the national team really went to the elite level so did you struggle with authority did you rebel against authority or were you a product of the environment and the society you were living 
I challenged it to some degree. You know, I had a, a guidance counselor, Mrs. Mason. Hazel Mason was her name. And uh, she was my guidance, guidance counselor grades six, seven, and eight. And then she ended up going to my high school. And it was always like she kept tabs on me to make sure I was okay. And she'd call me in her office every once in a while and, hey, you know, everything good? And, and you know, she was also my older brother's guidance counselor too, grades six, seven, and eight. For him, we went to the same school at different times, of course. But, um, you know, so she kind of kept tabs. She knew him and she knew our family and, and you know, that kind of thing. And uh, she was always, she always had this knack of, you know, bringing me in. And when yeah. she kind of saw that I was, not being nice to teachers or, you know, wasn't in this class or what, you know, then she'd be like, Hey, what's going on? You know? And, and I always, uh, I've never, I've caught up with her since and, and thanked her. And, but, you know, I did everything, Rob. I was in the school play. I was on the school sports teams. I was on the politics group. I was in, you know, like I did everything to keep myself busy, I think. And I think all those things, I know if I didn't have those things, I wouldn't be where I am today. Like they, I needed that stimulation. I needed that competition. I needed yeah. that all around sort of stuff around me. Like I, I would have just got bored if I just had sport, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I just, I think I was so busy doing extracurricular activities at school and the schools provided so much of that when I was growing up that it just kept me on track, you know? So you open the door. Tell me about Cassie, the actor. <laughs> oh yeah so what, what 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 was the did you do one or two plays what were you doing well grade six it was um what was it grade six grade six was the wizard of oz and yeah. i was a girl me and my friend jen Lo, we are we were like extras you know we dance okay. on that behind yeah. the main characters we sure. were a girl that's what they called us sure and uh and you know we were literally extras and then grade seven what was the play in grade seven was um It'll come to me. Uh, but again, I was an extra, you know, I was okay. like, but then grade eight came along, you know, and you're at the top of the school and uh, we did Greece and I was Rizzo. So I was actually one of you the You were leads. Rizzo in Greece. Yes, I was Rizzo. And I, I, we actually did, uh, I was one of the leads and I had a solo. And the first time everyone sees me, I come out on stage and I, you know, I say, hey, 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 where's all the guys? I'll never forget this. And the audience laughed. And I remember thinking about, I tell my mom after, like, why did everyone laugh at me? And she goes, because you came out with such sass and like you own that stage. And and I was like having this complex, you know, like, is my costume on backwards or what's going on? And she goes, no, you just have so much sass and you were so loud. And and um, that was uh, Mrs. Stapleton, Miss Tibero, Mr. Robinson, so many teachers that were involved in that. And they put on these plays, Rob, like Broadway plays for grade eight, you know, yeah. grade six, seven, eight. And, and, uh, yeah, it was, we had great teachers. I, I was lucky I had great teachers growing up. It appears I asked the wrong question. I guess the crossroads was there. Did you ever think about going that way? I mean, grade eight, doesn't matter what grade it is. You were the lead. You were playing Rizzo in well, Greece. Well, I wasn't I mean, Sandy. I wasn't Sandy. I was just Rizzo. Well, but, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, you know what? I, yeah, I, I wish so my mom was very musical, is very musical. And I wish, uh, I kind of was pushed more in that direction. And, and my daughter and I take guitar lessons. Uh, we took sort of this year off a little bit, but we did it last year and uh, we're going to get back into it here during this quarantine, I think. And, um, but I wish that was one thing I wish my mom really pushed. And I know she tried, um, was the musical side of things. Cause she plays piano by ear. She plays guitar by ear. Uh, she's a really good singer, you know, and, yeah. uh, I, I don't want to say I'm a really good singer, but every once in a while I can bust something out. And, um, you know, I, I wish that I was a bit more musical. That, that's one thing in my life. I, I might push on my daughter. You know, it's funny. I might push that on her. No, it, it, they well, all the metrics about kids that are musical and, and learn instruments, the learning, just what you get through that is pretty incredible, right? You know, I think so. Yeah. And you meet different people, too. Like, it's a different group, you know. Like, it's funny. Athletes always want to be... Uh, musicians and mm -hmm. musicians want, always want to be athletes, right. but there are a very different group of people generally. Um, but they're, you know, they each think each other's the coolest. You know, I think that's, that's the truth about it. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you about leadership in sports. Somehow we ended up in, in your acting career. Were you always <laughs> a leader in sport? Were you always, you know, on your teams, your high school teams and your soccer teams, the other teams, were you always one of the leaders? Uh, I think I was always sort of a captain, yeah, soccer, yeah. basketball, and 
um, you know, assistant captain or captain for sure growing up. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah, I guess I was, you know, and, and, but at the same time, I, I always know that, like, I always played hockey growing up, I always played with older players. So, you know, I always kind of looked up to them in that sense and, right. and didn't feel like I was, you know, any better or bigger than they were. And, um, so I, I kind of, I think developed that by playing with older athletes that I knew my place and yet I still had the confidence to lead an older group of people. And, um, so yeah, I, I guess in that sense I was, but I, you know, I still find leadership. I'm so, I'm still evolving and I still, you know, I'm, I'm going back to, uh, recently part-time with hockey Canada and working with our women's team. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I spent this whole last year relearning our program and what goes on behind the scenes. And, um, I've, I've really enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, but I still think as a leader, you're evolving. And for me as a leader now, it's a struggle dealing with the younger kids and the way they lead and the way they do it. Cause they just do it so differently and not that one's better than the other. It's just they, they don't talk as much to each other. They don't keep each other as accountable as much. They don't say the hard things as much as my generation would have done. And and that's kind of the way I led. So uh, I've had to make adjustments. And and that, that part's been fun because I think as a leader, you're always evolving, evolving and always changing. And yeah. you want to make people around you better. So you have to, you know, you have to find what makes people tick. And you have to change your leadership styles in some cases because – it doesn't fit for everybody. And at the same time, you have to understand that you might not be the best person to lead a certain individual. Uh, you have to bring in the other leaders around you. And it, it takes a village, I think, for sure. Yeah. What, so talk about the, you know, and I think we've had this conversation, but let's revisit it. Talk about the influences and in leadership for you, the people that brought you in and helped mold you to where you got to. Well, I think my family, first and foremost, both my parents, you know, they were hardworking people and, um, they weren't necessarily the greatest communicators, which it's funny. Like I, I can really communicate when it comes to sport and team stuff, but I, I'm maybe not a good communicator of myself and things that I go through, but, um, you know, they were, they were hardworking people and they, you know, built businesses from the ground up. And, um, you know, my brother, you know, my brother made it up to junior C in hockey was never really the best player on his team. And, and yet he just worked so hard, you know, and, and same thing. I learned a lot from him. He's three years older than me. Um, Sue Shear is the first captain of Canada's national women's team in 1990. She was my coach at the university of Guelph. So I've learned a ton from her, you know, I had great coaches and Rick Osborne and Ken Dufton and Melody Davidson and Daniel Sojo, who all I look back now and, and I know there's like one or two things that were so yeah. key in my life from all of them. And, and the list goes on and on there. And, and, um, you know, just, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine, Marla Cohen, who's a, a, you know, great fundraiser in the city here of Calgary, and she does so much for charity. And, you know, I've learned a lot from her just being humble and working hard. And, um, you know, I try to learn something from everyone I meet, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah. um, so I think that's important. But those those people kind of stick out for me, for sure. It's interesting, the observation you made about this generation or the younger generation now. Do you think it was being said about you? Do you think those mentors looked at you as an up-and-coming leader that that you were different than their age class you know what I'm saying like is this a constant evolution we've seen through sport well I think you have you have people that believe in you and uh, you know I look at Sue Shear and I I would I was cut from the national team twice before I actually made it yeah and uh you know, that year that I had her, my second year of university, the first year I had her, I knew she was like, Cass, you're going to make the national team this year and I'm going to help you do it, you know? And, and like I, she had my back and I think, so she saw something in me, you know, I think I had a lot of people along the way that saw something. I mean, Mrs. Mason, as I mentioned, back going through grade school, right? I think they saw something that they believed in. So they wanted to put the extra time in. And uh, so in that sense, yeah, I, I think I did have people that, saw something and believed in me and, and but were you different like, you know what i mean did they look at your group coming up your generation coming up going well they're not because i i think if i'm hearing you correctly you would make the same observation that you know you talk to coaches now and players you should go through the wall okay i'm going to go through the wall player now we want you to go through the wall well explain to me why yes. what's in it for me right yeah. that seems to be the general observation right well i think I think athletes now demand more information. You know, 
I was told to go to the gym and this is the workout I was supposed to do. And I did it, yep. you know, and I didn't, I didn't question the trainer, you know, later on in my career as injuries developed and, you know, things like that, then you question and you become a little bit more selfish in that regard. But the athletes today, they're like, give me all the information. I want all the information, as much information as I can. And then I'm going to make my own decisions from there. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to try things. They're not afraid to try different things. And, um, you know, I've had some athletes, you know, even the national women's team that say, okay, I, I'm, you need to go talk to this player, but be nice about it. <laughs> you know, and I, I've had people say, say things like that to me. It, Cause I, I would sit with a player and I'll just say here, positive, good, you know, bad, ugly, you know, that's sort of my mentality. Here it is, here it is, here it is. And let's, you know, let's be better. Yep. And, um, I think now with this generation, you need to throw in a lot more positives and, you need to sugarcoat things a little bit more and you can't be as blunt and, um, and that's okay. I, I, I think that's the involvement of athletes as they deba- demand more information and they want to know why, and they're dedicated. And, and I was dedicated. My generation was just as dedicated, but we're like, ah, okay. We, we have all these professionals around us. So, um, let them tell us what to do. And, that's sometimes not always the right thing on an individual basis. So I love the fact that athletes ask questions now because they challenge you mm-hmm. to know what you're talking about. They challenge you to know, why are we doing this? You better have the answers because if you don't, then your credibility goes right out the window. Isn't the, I guess, the the threading of the needle these days finding that balance though, right? It's finding that balance of being approachable, accountable and all that. But at some point, the rubber's got to hit the road, right? At some point you know, it's good, but we, we got to get her done and people need to be held accountable. Or am I overstating the situation? You know, uh, it was funny. My husband and I were watching old hockey the other night and I can't remember what hockey we were watching. And we were just talking about the differences and, you know, obviously the skating, I mean, the skill level, it, it doesn't even compare those back in the day. Yeah. But you know what? One thing we noticed was compete and, no matter who you were, when we watched that particular hockey game the other night, those guys competed, you know, every shift, every time they got into a corner. I mean, and of course it's different rules. You know, you'd see the slashing and you'd see, but it was compete. It was, there was no excuse not to compete. And if I, if I could say anything negative about the current athlete, because they're fitter than, than I was, they're more skilled than I was. Uh, you know, they, they're just better, complete players. They're fitter, all those things. But I think we, they do lack this compete at all cost. Uh, I'm a fourth line player. I'm a first line player. I'm a seventh defenseman. I'm a first defenseman. I'm the third goalie. You competed my generation. You competed for your spot. You competed. You, you made that fourth line, the best fourth line it could be. You, you made a difference on the first line. And, and I think that's something that, is a little bit lacking. You know, I, I don't want to say it in such a negative way, but I, I think this generation does lack a little bit of compete at all cost mentality. Now it's probably keeping them healthier. <laughs> There's less concussions, mm-hmm. all those types of things. But, uh, I do think that that is a missing mentality. Like when I played for team Canada, Rob, I was an all-star defenseman. I played on the first line. I played on the third line. I did whatever you wanted me to do. Yep. And, and I, I think that is missing from this generation. It's like, well, no, I'm, I'm on the national team. I should be on the first line. I shouldn't be on a fourth line. And no, you're on the national team. And so you do whatever you're told, like you're playing for your country. And, uh, so we're missing a little bit of that. I think. Let me, I don't have an answer, but I have an opinion. So let me bounce my opinion off you. I wonder a lot of the time about if that's because we don't allow our kids to fail that, You know, you and I failed. We failed. Not to say these kids now, there's winners and losers. I get that. But there seems to be more, well, it's not your fault, Johnny. You know, it's it's everybody else's coach didn't play you or this guy's not good enough. I I just wonder if somewhere along the line, we as parents, we as organizers have have lost the importance of failing. I I think that's a great point. I think, um, yeah, I, I think we've underestimated the importance of being successful versus failure and that equally they're of importance to everyone's development. Right. You know, and, right. um, 
everyone should want to win. You, you, oh, you yeah. don't want a hockey player on your team that doesn't want to win. But I think, right. um, I think that's definitely one thing that, you know, we underestimate the importance of failure right. in our child's development. And, um, so yeah, I think you're bang on. But, but you're a pretty you, smart guy. Oh no, no, no. I hit just throwing stuff against the wall. But if you don't get cut twice, are you the same player? If you made the team the first time, and who knows, this is all, you know, obviously conjecture and everything, but if you made the team the first time, are you prepared to go to the distances that you did when you eventually made it? You know what I mean? Yeah, probably not. And even, you know, the first time I made the national team in 94, Les Lawton was our head coach, and he even told me when my meeting, he goes, hey, you surprised us. We didn't think you were going to make this team. Yeah. You know, and... And, I, you know, I, I guess in that sense, yeah, it was never really given to me, the national team. And I was always, you know, a top player growing up and the captain of my team, all that kind of stuff. But the national team was just never given to me, I think. And, uh, you know, I struggled my first Olympic year for sure. But, you know, then just found a way to, you know, and then they changed my position completely, which is a whole other story. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I I had that mentality. Like once I was there, I'll do whatever it takes to make this team win. And and I'll do whatever the coach needs of me. And, um, and I think that's, that's kind of the way I'm, you know, even now back with the national women's team program, like Gina Kingsbury says, Hey, Cass, do you mind doing this? I'm like, yeah, whatever you need me to do, I'll, I'll get the coach's coffee. Like I'm, I'm good with this, you know, whatever you need me to do. And, um, so it, yeah, it's been fun. That's always been my mentality. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, and, and I think, yeah, as we go on this conversation, that's going to come up again, but what about the, this generation of leaders, well, do we have them? Are they stepping up? I mean, it's changed. We talked about that, but are there mm-hmm. are there good leaders now? Oh yeah, in our in the women's program, you mean yeah, in particular? Sure, women's program broadcasting. I don't care in all yeah. walks of life. I are you kidding me? And I think, uh, you know, when I first, I, I've been asked to go back with the national team over the years, probably about four or five times, and yeah. I didn't really want to go back when players that I played with were there because. They they had it. They they had it under control and I trusted them and you know, and then I watched this current team, you know, struggle at the Olympics and they you know, struggle. I mean, they lost in a flip and shootout, you know. I mean it's just but then I watched them kind of struggle last year and I was mad about it, you know, and, and it got to the point for me where I was like, Okay, Cassie, you gotta you gotta you can't complain, you can't B I T C H about this. You mm-hmm. you need to do something about it. So um you know, just before Worlds last year, Gina Kingsbury asked me to come and speak to the leadership group. And I said yes. And, you know, that was sort of my first interaction. And then, you know, then they get a bronze. And then I'm like, well, that conversation went well. And and I I, took, I felt accountable, you know, that I didn't do the right things in that meeting. And um, and so then that's I, I put my time where my mouth was, you know, and I, I went back to September camp and wanted to learn about it. And that was one thing I learned this year because I didn't really know any of the current leaders. I never played with any of them. Is that it, it's a great leadership group and it, it's different than the one we had uh, for sure, because we had three different extremes in my generation, like me and Vicky and Haley, we were just three different extremes literally. And I was sort of in the middle of both of them. And, um, but it was a good group. It was a good team. And I think that's one thing that the leadership group, I think with their current national team is learning is how to be a good team of leaders. And I think they're all awesome and they all bring so many great strengths to the table, but now it's time to, how do we do this together? How do we keep the team accountable together? And, and uh, that's their next step. And, yeah. and I believe in this group and it's unfortunate the world's got canceled. Cause I think this group was going to do some good things. Yeah. I, I, I'm always fascinated by you as a leader, having been in so many cases, you mentioned like how many times did they come and ask, was there pressure to always be there to answer everybody's question about everything all the time for you? Uh, I, I wouldn't say pressure. I think the pressure for me was just making sure the team won. You know, that was sort of, you know, me performing, obviously, and and training and working hard. And, you know, I wasn't our best player. I think everyone knows that. But I was I could play anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and I think my teammates respected that and. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think there's always pressure, you know, especially if you really want to do well. And, um, you know, that's something I guess continues on in, into broadcasting and I got to plug in my phone here for a second. No, that's you. okay. Um, you know, and that continues on into the broadcasting, what I do now. And, um, but I, yeah, I think 
it's funny. The national team says, oh, don't say talk about pressure. It's not pressure. You want to be here. No, it was pressure. <laughs> and it, it's okay. It's okay to have pressure and play for Team Canada. That's part of it. And uh, it's how you deal with it. And um, But I kind of like pressure. You know, I think um, pressure kind of brings out the best and the worst in people. And I think it's important to know the best and the worst things about your teammates, you know, and it's important to know what makes them tick. And I love seeing people's real personalities, you know, and that's, that's when you see them is in pressure and you see who can take it and you see who can't, you can, you can see who needs more help in, in that regard. And, uh, but I, you know, other than winning, cause I would have taken the responsibility as a captain if we didn't, but I, uh, I had a great, group i mean our group was so amazing every single player was just so amazing and right um so it made my job pretty easy yeah but even even after your playing days were over there was always you know you were always the go-to to to go to oh i see, yeah, I see you, you know what i mean saying. like mm-hmm. you were you know you mentioned it they came to talk to you a couple times now you're back but anytime anything happened there was always a reporter asking cassie what do you think and you know were you able to ever find some balance there between I played and now I'm out and, you know, or were you always part of it or you always felt like you've been part of it? Yeah. That, I think that eventually started to bug me, you know? Um, I think what happened with the whole league thing uh, and what the players are doing now um, was first off a result of their leadership and a result of them finally just digging their heels in and saying, uh, uh-uh, uh, no more. And we deserve better. But I also think, like, when I stepped down from the board, from the Canadian Women's Hockey League board, what, three or four years ago now, um, that was my moment of, like, I'm I'm not going to be this spokesperson anymore. And, I'm, and, you know, you, it was sort of an unsaid message to this young generation that and I, I'm, I'm done. It's yeah. up to you guys now. Yeah. And, you know, I obviously behind the scenes kept in touch with all of them and, um and I've obviously been vocal at different times, but uh, when they started the PWHPA, there was nothing that made me more prouder because it, it was them speaking. I mean, all us old players can speak all we want, but if if they don't stand up for themselves, there was no way we were going to push the bar to another level. And um, and that's that was sort of my my goal is that if I stepped away, then. You know, and I had many reasons to step away. There were personal reasons. There were business reasons within the league. There, there were so many things. But um, I felt that I needed to step away to allow those young players to have a voice and yeah. to have the more powerful voice because they do have it. And uh, so that was a big moment for me. So when they started the PWHPA, that was, I was like, yes, here we go. We're going to make some change. And then they have. And and I, you know, truly believe we're closer than we've ever been before to having a professional league. This whole virus thing unfortunately i think is going to set us back here a little bit but yeah. uh, we just keep pushing forward and they just keep pushing forward and it's about the product that they put on the ice and it's about their ability to stand together through this because it it's it was a hard hard year for these players um let the record show uh from my perspective just wanted to highlight another example of leadership because i think that's what it was I think stepping away and allowing them and it's kind of kicking the baby out of the net or the bird baby bird out of the nest a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like th- they have to have their own voice here and they've done a remarkable job with it. Really? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, that's, they have, they've, they've made me proud all of them. And yeah, I love getting to know some of the American players. You know, again, I never played with any of these players or played against them. And yeah, I love that they'll reach out to me every once in a while and just ask my advice. Like I still love that, but, I love how it's their voice, their collective voice and, and how they've really come together. And that's how you make change. You know, it's, it can be frustrating. It it can take a long time, but that's how you make change. And so to be honest with you, Rob, like I was really, I needed to get out of that whole scenario for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I do know that it was important for the game moving forward. 100%. 100%. Oh, by the way, Sport Calgary is a volunteer-based nonprofit society guided by a deep love of sport and a mission to help sport grow in Calgary with Cassie Campbell-Pascal. Um, how good is uh, Katrina LeMay-Dome running that? How good? She's awesome. Holy yeah, she's cow. Good. She's know, fantastic. She's going to make a difference. She will. Um, and I, my only concern is, like, we're going to lose her. Like, she's 
that good. I mean, we're we had you know we've had some really good leaders in Sport Calgary, and and I don't yeah. want to besmirch any of them, but Katrina coming on board is unreal. Um, you know, but and it's a question I guess I can ask you: How Sorry, lucky are we here in Calgary? And I, I don't. You and I have had many conversations about the women's role in sport and and coverage and all of those sort of things. But the one thing I think we can all agree on: we're blessed here in Calgary to have an inordinate number of female leaders in sport and prominent, mm-hmm. few, up and coming, veteran doesn't matter around. The, and I asked her that. I may as well ask you. I mean, we are lucky, aren't we, here in Calgary? Well, I don't think there, it's a coincidence that we have a lot of Olympians here in Calgary. You know, mm-hmm. I think yep. that goes hand in hand. I mean, if I'm a corporation out there and I'm looking for someone to run my organization or, or be part of my organization, I'm going after an Olympian, you yep. know, like male or female, just what they go through and, and to do what they do. And it's pretty remarkable, but we have so many great female athletes here in particular. And I mean, so many male too, but so many great female ones and, uh, it's fun. I, I don't do a ton of events here anymore. Just I, I've kind of made that decision in the last couple of years. I, I really am picky. And, and when I'm home, I just want to be home. And yep. so, But I do miss not seeing all these great leaders, you know, like the Cheryl Bernards and the Katrinas and, um, you know, the Ericas. And the, there's so many. It's like I'm missing so many people. And, you know, the Karen Lee Gartners, every once in a while, you know, yep. we'll text each other. But I miss seeing these guys on a regular basis. And um, it, we're lucky. And I believe it's the Olympic movement that has created it here in Calgary in particular. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, you could almost make a case that there's kind of a, a, a club atmosphere almost to it that um, I, I, I'm hard pressed to find an athlete now, especially an Olympic athlete that trains here that doesn't feel like they have a responsible responsibility to be involved socially somewhere, right? They're kid yeah. sport ambassadors, fast and female there's so many good initiatives that are Calgary based uh, classroom champions, mentors and mm. things like that. Like it, it really is part of that culture. And again, back to leadership that you find here in Calgary, don't you think? Yeah. And that, that's the thing about athletes too, mm. is we are always looking for ways to make a difference. So in our sport, every day we go to the gym. Okay. Well, how am I going to make a difference today? Whether it's an injury I'm dealing with or whether I need to get better shoulder strength. You know, we're always looking for these little details of how to make a difference. And so I think that just happens in our everyday life. You know, how can we make a difference? And, um, you know, nowadays you're starting to see how they make a difference because of social media and stuff. And, um, but I still think that's why they're, they'd be great employees too, right? Because it's how am I going to make a difference today? And not just about getting the job done. It's about their impact on people. And the way they understand that people are important to their success and their success is important to those people's success. And just how we have this ability to kind of work with people um, and keep it real and keep it light and keep it fun and and keep a a good culture. When did you move? When did Calgary become home for you? When did you make that move? I moved out here. Well, I moved out here for summer in 2000 and uh, our team, the Toronto Arrows, had just lost in the national championship. So I moved out here with my current husband, who at the time obviously was my boyfriend, and um, yeah, it was. We lived in sin. Get over it. And uh, you know, we we uh, that wasn't directed at me. Yeah, no, 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 it wasn't directed at you. It's for my father. Oh, okay. Um, no, no. And uh, but because our team lost the national championship, I just said, you know, Brad, I, I gotta go back and play one more year in, in Toronto. So I went back home and. I co-captained the Toronto Arrows with Angela James. Like it, wow. it was just perfect. And we ended up winning the national championship. And um, so then I, I said, okay, I said to big guy, Colin McKenzie, I'm done. I, and he understood like my personal life was changing. And, and so then I moved up to Calgary, I think it was 2001 and maybe, you know, 2000, somewhere around May, 2000 and 2001, whatever. I don't even know when it was. And I've lived here ever since and we live here and we love it. And, I, my family's all out east and my good friends I grew up with and I miss them dearly, but I, I get home enough to see everybody. Yep. And, but this is home. And, you know, now my husband's been with the flames now for six years and I'm, I was broadcasting all over for the last 14 years, but I'm more out West now. And Sportsnet gave me a great opportunity to help Kelly Rudy out in the sense where he needed less games with his travel. And I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll I want to do colorful time. And, and so now I'm home doing those games a little bit more and that's been good for us. And, um, but we love, we love it here. Like I, we love our neighborhood. Um, 
you know, we just, we love everything about it, our, our kids' school and uh, just the small town feel of Calgary, yet it's a big city with more culture. Because, I mean, I grew up, you know, I missed, when I first moved to Calgary, I missed Jamaican food and I missed East Indian food and I missed all those things. And now I think we're becoming more cultured and, and we're becoming a better city because of it too. Yeah. When did you become a Calgarian then? I don't know. You know, it's funny. My teammates, Colleen Sisoris was from Saskatchewan and she, I think it was about four or five years in and she goes, you know, you're an honorary Westerner. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm like, you of all people are saying that to me because you know, the Westerners, they hated people from Ontario and, <laughs> We always played foot hockey and it was Ontario versus the West. And, you know, it was just, uh, so when she said that to me, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm an honorary Westerner, you know, and, um, I, we just love it here. My husband's from BC, so he's a real Westerner and, uh, you know, but he's lived here, you know, a couple of years longer than I have. So we, we just love it. We love all our friends and, and yeah, it's fun. When did the broadcasting dream begin? When did you get a, a bug or an itch for doing that? You know, it's funny. I always dabbled in it when uh, I was playing, you know, like I'd, I'd fill in for the breakfast television hosts, you know. So before practice, I'd zip down there, do three hours of the show and then go practice. And it was just something that, you know, after I finished college, I was like, oh, I'm kind of bored. Right. So I had to fill my time. And um, and then after the Olympics in 2002, Rick Briggs Jude, who is a longtime producer at TSN, asked me to do the NHL Network, which you know, back then my parents might have subscribed just because they knew I was going to be on the show. Like there was, there was like no one had it. You didn't even know what it was. And we did this show called NHL on the fly every night. So I moved back home to Toronto for three months and lived with my parents and uh, did the show for three months. And that's kind of where I got the itch where I could sit there and watch hockey and and talk about it. You know, and I remember working with Terry Crisp and Dave Reed and, you know, Jay Onright was our host and, um we we just had fun and I remember my producers Mark Jacobson and Tony Darchi and when they first found out I got hired they were like oh great she knows nothing about hockey and we're gonna have to do all this extra work and they admitted that to me after the fact and and of course you know me I showed up three hours before they did yep. and I was researched and well prepared and and at the end I'll never forget this Mark Jacobson said to me he goes Cass we thought we were gonna have to do so much work because you were being hired and you proved us all wrong and, and I'm sorry and thank you. And it was, you know, such a pleasure. And I've never forgotten that conversation. Um, and th that's kind of where I got the bug and, and then lucked out when I retired, I had no idea what I was going to do. And hockey night Canada, Joel Darling called and I was like, okay, I don't know how much he'd been drinking at the time, but uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it, it's been really fun. You know, 14 years in, I've been doing this a long time. Tell I'm us, old now. No, you're not. You, I am. I mean, you started when you're 12. It's amazing. I, yeah. It's the unknown yeah. story about broadcasting, right? Yeah. Uh, tell us about the first game you did color on. Yeah. Do you know what? It played the other night. I oh, had, did it? Uh, yes. Oh. It's funny. Dave, I didn't see it, but uh, Dave Randorf texted me, and and um, I, I ended up catching the last part of it because Dave Randorf texted me, Mark Askin, a few other people. Um, these are, you know, Dave, yeah. obviously everyone knows. Mark Askin's a Big Ten producer. And um, so – yeah, it was uh, it was in 2006. It was an unbelievable game. It was Calgary at Toronto. And the week before, I had just done the Battle of Alberta. And I showed up to my very first pregame skate. Uh, you would have been there yep. on the Saturday morning. And uh, we're all sitting there, us media folk. And all of a sudden, we hear, psst, you know, psst, and this, this kind of wisecracking guy. And I turn, and it's Daryl Sutter, remember? I don't know if you remember this. And he's sitting in the suite yep. watching the practice. And he calls me over yep. in front of all you guys, like my <laughs> colleagues. And so that's kind of impressive because, you know, he, he could be gruff to many people. But he was always so great to me. And I loved him dearly. And uh, he calls me up and sits in that suite with me and talks to me about the Flames and talks to me about the Oilers. And then the next Saturday, I had to do Flames at Toronto. And... He literally sat with me those two pre-game skates. Like, it was just amazing. I'll never forget that. So when I got to do color the next Saturday, I was like, I, I know the Flames, and I grew up watching the Leafs, and, you know, we all watch them because they're always on every Saturday. So I, I knew them like the back of my hand, and uh, that was the game I did with Bob Cole, and Harry Neal missed his first game in 25 years or something like that. And, and uh, you know, that's one of those things where I could have easily said no, and I thought to myself, no way. This is an opportunity of a lifetime, and I just said yes, and – and I told my brother and Vicky Sanahara and my husband. Those are the only three people that knew. 
that I was going to do it that night and took a lot of slack over that next week or so or longer. And, uh, but just knew knew I was going to get better at it and, yeah. and, you know, knew I would continue to keep getting opportunities if I just worked hard and, and, uh, you know, CBC gave me those opportunities. And then eventually Sportsnet, after a few years going back to host, I, I'm doing color now full time for the last three or four years. Crazy thing about that particular game. Matt Sundin scores his 500th. Yeah. Mark, Mark Giordano gets his first two NHL goals yeah. and you do your first game of color. That's a pretty, that's a pretty meaningful game, right? <clears throat> yeah. And it's funny because I actually called Mark Giordano, Mark Giordano, when everyone was calling him Gio- Giordano. Giordano yeah. But I think I, I honestly didn't know. I just made a mistake. But I, my mistake ended up like my mistake ended up being, you know, OK. Yeah. You know, the funny story about that is Mark Giordano was a healthy scratch the next game and Rhett Warner took his place. And that's the way it was, right? Yep. You're a young kid. You score two goals, but one of the Matt Sandin goals went off his stick and top shelf on Mika Kiprasov. And it's like, young kids, uh-uh, you're out, you know? And that's just the difference in mentality. Whereas now, you know, guys can score two, three goals a game, have five giveaways, and eh, they're back the next game. But <laughs> yeah. Not He's... in that generation. So no, it's pretty funny. No, Daryl didn't like high risk, high reward, right? <laughs> well, it, actually, it, it was Jim Playfair. But oh, was it Daryl... I think Daryl was the GM, if I'm not mistaken. That's time I'd have to double oh, check. Oh, that's but... right. That's Jim. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. That's a Jim Playfair year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so, wow. uh, but that was pretty cool. That was a pretty special night. And Bob Cole was great. And ever since that day, that's why I've always called him Mr. Bob Cole, because he really took me under his wing. And I always felt that he deserved, you know, when you introduce him, you put Mr. You know, oh, I just, sure, for sure. and, and so for anytime sure. I was a host after that, I introduced him as Mr. Bob Cole. And, uh, and he always appreciated that too. I think he thought that was pretty fun. Yeah, it's yeah. you you kind of shepherded the eras, right? Like you 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 know, you had a chance to work with the Bob Coles of the world and and you know, Peter Marr would have been around the, the old school and now into the new guard and um you know, even more recently. I mean, you've been part of some pretty interesting broadcasts, right? Yeah, it's been, you know, I I uh, did I just lose? Yeah, something there you're happened. Back. Yeah. There. I don't know what happened. I apologize. It's all good. Um I uh yeah, it's been really fun. You know, I got to do the playoffs last year for the very first time as color. I've, you know, co- covered the playoffs as a yep. host for many years, but you know, that was really fun. And, um, it's a little awkward still doing flames games sometimes just because my husband does work for the team. And I think everyone knows that now, but you know, I've had this job much longer than he's had his job. So, <laughs> uh, he can quit if that, if there's a conflict, that's but, right. Um, that's right. I, uh, yeah, it's been fun. I honestly, Rob, I don't know how much longer I'll do it, and, and that could be determined for me. But because um, I, I, you know, I'm starting to like this national women's team thing. But we'll see. We'll, you know, I'll, I'll never close doors. And um, yeah, it's fun. And the players are great. The players grew up watching women's hockey. Yeah. You know, they're asking me about the current players. You know, they they they've always gotten it, and they've always treated me with respect. And that's been great. Yeah, it's interesting because we start this conversation off talking about leadership and how the the modern player needs to be kind of coerced or moved around. But the one thing they are is they're a lot more open and understanding and better people than some of some of us were at that age, right? I, I think so. Um, you know, I, like I'll, I'll be honest, Vic. I the players and the coaches and and the hockey staffs in the NHL have treated me so well. And a lot of it is because they, they do know my husband. They, they knew that I played and all that. But uh, I think that was the one thing I, I realized early on in my broadcasting career is I'd go into these rinks and they'd be like, Hey, how's Brad? And I'd be like, who the heck is this guy? And, you know, and, and, but they all would ask me about my husband and, and, you know, he's worked in hockey a long time too and played. And, you know, now he's in the NHL, but he's with hockey Canada for 18 yeah. years. And, you know, was in charge of our men's programs when he finished, and and um, and there every that was one thing that I was like, you know, hun, people really like you. You know, I I'm learning a whole different thing about you, and because uh, we don't really talk too much hockey at home, so um, so that was kind of neat just to get a chance to see how many people he knew, and I think that also got me in the door a few more times, and and at the same time they watched women's hockey and they they knew my career, and so the players were always great to me. What's uh, the preparation? for a game like for Cassie Campbell, Pascal, what do you do to prepare for a typical game? Well, I watch every game of that week between those two teams. So uh, not between those two teams, but of yep. those teams. So, you know, depending on a type typical week, it's, you know, three or four games of each team. Um, 
uh, yeah, and it depends what role you're doing too. Host is a little bit different. You're more looking for stories. And mm-hmm. uh, when I'm watching a game as a host, I'm more looking for little stories and tidbits rather than hockey plays per se. Um, but when I'm watching as a, a color analyst, I'm looking for tendencies, face-off plays. And, um, you know, I'm watching goalies' gloves. Is Are guys always shooting, you know, one particular way or another? I really watch that in the first period, you know, the which part of the goalie that the teams attack because that's always, you know, something that's up on the board and inside the locker room, which, you know, so I try to look at that. And um, I, I read a lot. I watch a lot. You know, you read the news and stuff and articles and clips. But I also, I've gotten away from that as much just because I want to have my own opinion. So I, I just more so watch the games. And then I always send my producer, our ISO director, uh, my colleagues that I work with, um an email and our stats person, an email of just ideas, ideas and thoughts. You guys, you know, use what you want. But I, I find if I email sort of the team that puts our production together, then they all are kind of on the same page of what I'm looking for and yep. things like that. And so the night before the game, they always get a long email from me and I know some of them love it and some of them don't, but it gives them ideas. And sometimes my ideas, like I know our stats guys, I've given them an idea and it, it hasn't worked out the way I thought it would. And, uh, but they're all great and they accept it, you know, and again, I always put just thoughts and ideas and, and my producers will get one of those before every game. And, and then, you know, during the playoffs is a bit different. I, cause you're covering one series. I always just go back and watch the game and I'll go back and watch the game on our feed and I'll go back and watch it on the NBC feed, you know, just to see if I missed anything or hmm. just to see if they caught a story we didn't or whatever. And right. I learned that from Shirley Najak, who's a great producer for hockey night in Canada and, and that's all I normally do in the playoffs other than go to the rinks and talk to players and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I go back and I watch the games. That's the one challenging aspect. I think just looking from the outside back in is that the, this change in media has been so rapid, so quick to opinion. There are so few actual game stories. There's lots of opinions on what's happened, but it used to be, I'd say 10 years ago, you were able to take some stuff out of the media and go, okay, well, this is just chronicling what happened in the game. This is helpful to me. So much of what, you know, in your position now, you do have to kind of purse, is that what happened or is that that person's opinion, mm-hmm. media-wise? Yeah, it, it, and I think as a color analyst, you need to have your own opinion. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. Uh, you know, if I did the panel, I've done the panel a couple times in Toronto, and you better, you even more so then better have an opinion. And you need to have an opinion on a, a larger group of teams and a larger group of players because you're covering, you know, different games in the panel. But um, that's what we're paid for, is to have an opinion. And it better be educated, and not everyone's going to agree with it, and so be it, you know. And I'll never please every hockey fan. And to be honest with you, I I can't care about that, because if I cared about that, it would just drive you insane. So um, you want controversy. You want people to think differently. It's live sport, you know. And I think what one people, you know, most people don't understand is that when you're covering live sport, you you know, you might be seeing that replay again for the very first time since you saw it live. And when you get to see it on the screen with multiple angles, you see it differently than when you saw it live. And and you're ad-libbing as you see it. And you're, you know, a lot of people don't realize how quickly you're thinking and speaking at the same time. I, I, no, absolutely. So I've had a few bloopers, but I don't really care. It's it's part of life. See, to me, the, the, the thing that's happened in the last 10 years that general managers and coaches all go to is it's a hard league to win in. And they're absolutely right. 31 teams, it's a hard league to win in. What I don't think the media people have been given enough credit for, especially the on-air talent, is we watch more of the game in slow motion than we do in live. That's just the reality of it. And Mm -hmm. you're still looking at things, analyzing things in real time, whereas the, the viewer at home can sit back, watch it, watch the replays, and then draw an opinion. And I, I don't know if we... Sometimes I think we forget that. Sometimes I think we forget the fact that you know, we're lucky as viewers, but the people doing the work don't have that same luxury. Well, and you're also, you know, people, viewers are watching it on a 50 foot, 55 inch screen <laughs> TV, you know, and you, you're getting this replay on this monitor. It's like about this big. And like, what? <laughs> uh, but yeah. it, uh, it's not an excuse. So that's no, no, our job. No, no, it's you the know? reality of it. Uh, but I, I love it when people on social media, they'll, they'll like give it to you after the game. And you're, I'm like, yeah, great, good for you. Give it to me in live TV and live time, and then we'll talk, you know? Right. Um, but I, I get a kick out of all that stuff now, and 
yeah, it's, it's hockey in country, in our country, people are passionate and they think you're a fan of the team that, you know, if you say something positive about one team, Oh my God, you're a homer. And, you know, it's like, we just call what we see and that's it. And, you know, Frank flames regional, you're supposed to sugarcoat things a little bit because obviously you're going to probably hear about it from the team if you don't. And, uh, when you get to a national game, it's a free for all. It's, it's, uh, you got to call it like it is because, you know, you've got viewers from all over the country and you've got viewers that obviously are in both markets. And um, so that that is what it is. I'll say this because I, I, I want to take every opportunity I can. I think it was two seasons ago, and I've told you this. You did the best explanation I've ever seen on television of a player and their uh, the, the change from one year to the next when you did Johnny Gaudreau and his own entries. When you showed mm-hmm. that video package and walked, that I told you at the time, should have won an award right there. Like, yeah. I, I that was one of the best pieces of television that I have seen in, in 10, 15 years. No, I remember you texted me right after that. And I, I remember I was working with a producer that night in Scott Lennox. And I thought of this idea about two weeks before. And I knew it was going to take them some time to, to understand what I meant and to package it, you know, and they do would probably do that out of Toronto. So he's like, thanks for giving me this idea two weeks in advance. And then he put this package together, you know, him and his staff. Yep. That was bang on exactly what I wanted. And uh, so sometimes it works out that way. And um, that's you know, like scoring, like, right? Like yeah, when you do that, that's that yeah. there's a euphoria about something like that. Yeah. And he's a younger producer. And so yeah. um, not that the old ones never supported me, but he like there's there's I never get a feeling now when I have an idea that they're like, oh, my God, this girl, girl, what is she talking about? Like they they all just <laughs> consider me like a hockey person. So yeah. he just took my idea and he put it together like as if I was sitting beside him, you know, and um, and that's when, you know, you got a good team and a good teammate and. Uh, so that, that was fun. And I, I always appreciated that text because I was pretty excited about that pack and the way it came out and no. that it was kind of perfectly described, too. I talked to kids about it. I talked to lots of people about it. I, I thought that was the best thing I'd seen on television in years just because it, you know, you're so used, not used particularly, but there's a lot. Of, if you watch the game, if you read a lot about the game, there's not a lot sometimes that will surprise you or catch your attention. But that was it was like, wow okay, she's absolutely right. This makes so much sense. I just, I thought it was a brilliant piece of television. Um, and that's where if you're in the panel, you get those opportunities to really put those together nicely. You're right. You're, yeah. you're, you're, ab- you're absolutely yeah. right. Um, it's hard to do in game. I want to have a little fun with you as I wrap up here. Okay. What's the best thing that you've been able to do because of your hockey career? What's the coolest thing you've gotten to do because of your role in hockey? Ooh, uh, travel the world. Yeah, uh, that goes without saying. You know, I've been to Afghanistan, right? Like, through yep. hockey. I was on the very first hockey ops trip to Afghanistan, where they took hockey players over to visit our troops. Um, with Tiger Williams and Kirk McLean. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, God, the stories so of Tiger fun. Williams on those trips yeah. are legendary, because he doesn't sleep, right? You know, and I I know he's gone through the ringer here over the last little bit, yeah. but uh, I, I've been with him and I believe he's a great man. And as a woman to say that, uh, especially with what he's had to go through, um, I still believe it too. So um, I, uh, I think the travel, I think the people you meet and the friends that I still have through, through hockey, uh, you know, my family, I mean, I met my husband through hockey and, uh, you know, we did long distance for a long time and then eventually married and moved here to Calgary. And then, of course, we have a daughter because of it. So uh, I would say the travel and, and the family. Yeah. Okay. Because um, you, you got the Order of Canada, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, are you Canadian Walk of Fame, too? No. Not yet. Okay, that's good. Cool. No. Um, <laughs> what about Hall of Fame? Because you are now on the nomination committee, are you not? Yeah, Hall of Fame is yes. That's very. I should have had that in my initial. That's pretty cool. I, that's pretty yeah. cool, right? Going into that room last year for the very first time was. Uh, I, I was trying to be so cool and calm, and, <laughs> and, but I, I was pretty nervous. And um, yeah, that that's right up there for sure. That but is... we can't talk about that. Too no, much, no, so no. It, you know, you... it's not. It's something that kind of slips your mind sometimes because you're never allowed to talk about it's it. It's like but... Fight Club, right? <laughs> no, first rule of Fight Club: you don't talk about Fight Club. But it's pretty, like, having talked to Dehatchik about it over the years and stuff like that, like, a lot of pressure, but what a conversation. What a, That's the ultimate, right? Like, yeah. to get in there it, and, and listen and defend and all those types of things. That's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh, pretty surreal. Yeah. 
Okay. The other one I had to bring up was one of the first times I ever saw you speak was with Bobby Orr. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chevrolet Safe and Fun, right? Yeah, that was great. Yeah. You you got to, how how much did you We did that for 16 years. I got to travel the country with Bobby Orr and Mike Bossy and, um, yeah, that was fun. Uh, You know, another thing for me that was one of the greatest experiences of my life was interviewing Michelle Obama. Right. Um, I, yeah. I wanted to ask. remarkable. Because you're going to get to do that again, or will you get to do that? Well, again? yeah. We, it was scheduled for March 31st, and of course that got canceled, but uh, it's it's in the works for hopefully October. And one of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life, and was so down to earth and so humble, and, and we're so alike. Which, <laughs> like, we're huggers. We're both huggers. And and uh, she was just, she was remarkable. I I. I have uh, a lot of respect for her anyway, and then I had even more so when I met her. Were you comfortable in that realm? Cause I yeah, I was nervous as anything, and then I met her 10 minutes before we went on the stage in Saskatoon, and her instinct was to hug me, and I'm a hugger too, so it just broke the mold, and then she made the mistake when we came out on stage because we were talking about where I live in Calgary. She, she said, hello, Calgary, in Saskatoon, <laughs> so then I immediately had her back and explained why she would have said that, because we were just talking about my hometown yep. in Calgary, and I think she realized that that moment, oh, this girl has my back, and we had so much fun, and, you know, she, she's got these scripted questions you're supposed to ask her, and they allowed me to kind of go off the page, and I came up with my own questions, oh, okay. and, and um it was really fun. I've that always, was one of the I, best experiences. I always yeah. wanted to ask you that. I didn't, that's the one inside broadcasting inside interviewing question i wanted to know was how much free reign did you have there could you you know improvise a little bit within the answer to the questions right well originally no and then i (laughs) said well i uh i am a broadcaster so this is how we do things and so i sent back like 20 to 30 questions and i had clips and things and pictures and and they were like yeah okay we're good with all those and uh I think there was a few things that you know, you weren't allowed to ask specifically about her daughters, like specific stuff, you know, and uh, you weren't allowed to, to really talk politics at that time mm-hmm. because it was so crazy with sure. Trump. And, yeah. um, but you could talk politics, but not specifically about him. Right. And there was a couple of things, but honestly, she was amazing. She was awesome. And we talked about our moms behind the scenes and how they made us better and we both connected on that front as well. And my mom actually got to be here. I surprised her and flew her out here in Calgary. And I took 10 of my girlfriends and uh, sort of surprised them too with a, a great picture with Michelle. And um, so it was really cool. She She's a remarkable person. Yeah. Do you like remarkable. that part? You like stepping out of the hockey and stepping out of the sports and, and spreading Yeah. Wings? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I love, uh, I love the fact that you can share like I get these great opportunities and so does my husband and the best thing about it is sharing it with our friends who are in our family who never you know we we give tickets to friends down the street all the time and they're like oh so thankful and they I think they feel awkward about it but we're like no this this is a perk for us this is a perk for our job and we want to share it with you guys and that's one thing Brad and I always try to do over the years we've gotten so many great things and we just try to share it with people around us any interest in politics no. Do you know, I was asked right when I retired, I was asked by one of the parties to join. Um, and I just didn't like the whole procedure of how it kind of was going. And, and I, I, I feel bad because I think we do have good politicians, but I do think we have a lot of bad ones. And I just, I'm curious about how much you could actually get done. And so I've been asked a few times, one time in particular, very seriously and was recruited. And uh, I just... I don't think it's for me. All right. My last one for you. It's a question we ask everybody that comes on the podcast. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to give you too many parameters. I'm just going to give you the question. You can answer it any way you like. Mm-hmm. Give me your hidden Calgary gem. Give me the Cassie Campbell Pascal hidden Calgary Ooh. gem. There are no parameters here, so you yeah. feel free to fill it in wherever you want. Oh, well, I... I guess I always, I mean, it's not a hidden gem, but it's, uh, you know, I love walks like going down by the Bow River and stuff that, you know, bonus park area, but, uh, Angel's Diner. What? Tell us Angel's more. Angel's Diner. It's in Bowness. It's just been renovated. It's got like the best burgers and the best curly fries ever. Um, and milkshakes and it's just old school diner, you know, and it, it has the jukeboxes and the booths and they don't work, but you know, they got them there. And, uh, yeah, it's just, 
is this little hole in the wall diner in Bonas. It's awesome. And it's, yeah, it's fun. That's, fun to take kids. That is fantastic. Uh, thank you. As always, this is so much fun. I do miss our conversations. Uh, yeah, so this me too. was really cool to catch up. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us, Cass. Yeah. Cheers, Rob. She is the, um, well, we're not, we're trying to keep it family here, you know, PG. So I'll just say she's the freaking best, right? Who's, come on, who's better than Cassie Campbell Pascal? Dare I say nobody. Brad Pascal, not quite. Close, but not quite. Another, he's the guy we got to get on the program. You know, that's not a bad idea. I think we should get Brad Pascal on here too. So we'll try to do that. Uh, thanks to Cassie. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to her. She is indeed a role model. Um, she's a leader. Uh, she's everything that you want uh, an athlete in their career and post-career to be, as far as I'm concerned. I cannot say enough good things. I uh, hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please share them with your friends. Let them know they're out there. Uh, you can always go back and listen to the entire uh, inventory. We've been doing this for two or three weeks now, so we got quite a uh, collection built up. So if you ever just want to lose yourself in some good old-fashioned storytelling and Calgary sports, you can do that. Um, we've had guests like, Peter Labardius, Katrina Lene Doan, uh, Sandra Persina, George Canyon, just to name a few. Coming down the pipe, Randy Chevrier, uh, Al Coates, Rob Cookson. Lots and lots and lots of great guests. Uh, thanks to Cassie Campbell Pascal. Thanks to everybody at Sport Calgary. Most importantly, thanks to you for taking some time and downloading this. This has been an original Six Feet Conversation podcast for Sport Calgary. <laughs>